Hello and welcome to episode three of the Deakheads podcast. My name is uh, Rob Delves, and as always, I'm joined by Sean Jessen and Damon Benarski. Firstly, hello to you, Sean. How you going, mate? Well, thanks, Rob. Uh, good to see you've uh, got a nice new fresh haircut there, bringing out all the big guns for the looking good for the podcast. I like it. Yeah, boy. Uh, unfortunately, I had to follow your lead from last week, mate. I couldn't let you uh, have all the glory, but yes, um, isolation haircut, mate. So it's uh, it's done the job, that's for sure. It's not it's not a cry for help after Miami went down in the, the NBA finals, is it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez, it's a bit, uh, yeah, that's a bit of a sore point. They fought gallantly, Miami. That's the topic there. Some, something that I wanted to mention was I just wanted anyone that's listening all our thousands of uh, followers that follow us and listen to our podcast, I just want them to know that if you do see or have seen any Miami Heat uh, posts on any of our social media platforms and thinking, gee, what's, you know, what's going on here? The, these Triax boys are my, big Miami Heat nuffies. It's just that Rob, Rob's gone and hijacked the social media and then he's gone spewing his nonsense. So if you, if you do see anything, it's hopefully died down now that the season's over, but... Just for future reference, uh, any Miami Heat posts, that's what Rob's doing, not uh, myself or Damo. But, oh, yeah. I find that hard to believe because Damo had his head on one. Damo had his head on Duncan <laughs> Robinson's body. Well, if it, I don't know who is, who is Duncan Robinson. If anyone knows me, they know that I do not follow basketball and would not endorse the Miami Heat if I was a basketball fan. So we'll just go ahead with that. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, no, good stuff. Well, thanks, uh, thanks Damon, for popping your head in there. Uh, how are you, Damon? You well? I'm good, Rob. Just yeah, uh, gr- uh, ground, it, Groundhog Day up here. Yeah, I was going to say, you look like you're in exactly the same setting as the last time um, we saw you. So what's, uh, what's going on up in Sydney, mate? Yeah, we're into week two of uh, hotel quarantine. So um, yeah, our schedule is training from 10 to 1 every day and then back inside for uh, the remaining, whatever it is, 21 hours of the day to... Um, figure out what you're going to yeah, do right. so yeah it's getting a bit dry um but yeah we're on the home stretch here so um we get out sunday afternoon or evening depending on the covid test so yeah pretty excited yeah. for that speaking speaking about dry mate and uh the covid tests how are your nostrils going mate because you've had a few tests i believe how, how have you hold how have you held up from them yeah for anyone that's actually had one they're not the most pleasant thing um up here in New South Wales, they're definitely a lot more gentle. Maybe that's why they're not getting as many uh, positive tests and not doing it properly. But uh, yeah, <laughs> it, it's, it's gentle up here. Um, if you've had one in Victoria, they almost poke you in the brain. So um, yeah, if you don't yeah. have to get one, if Dan Andrews is listening, you know, he'll tell you to get one. But if you don't have to, I wouldn't put yourself through it. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's fair enough. I have, I've had one too, actually, and they're, they're not pleasant. You just think, yeah, you think that's it, really. <laughs> You think it could be over pretty shortly, but um, uh, speaking of uh, shout-outs, we've given a couple of brief ones. We actually like to give one to uh, Moses Enriquez. So if you've seen, uh, if you've seen <laughs> our, um, socials over the past uh, couple of days, you would have seen um, a bit of handiwork celebrating the fact that we're now on Spotify as well. So it's a perfect, uh, perfect lead into um, checking us out on Spotify, particularly our first and second episodes. They're up there at the moment, so. Big thank you to everyone that's uh, tuned into these already, and um, we've got some pretty decent feedback from um, some people, which has been really good and and uh, and positive for us. I'm just trying to uh, incorporate some value. So if you uh, 
if you want to do a bit of a, a, a Moises, a Moises on Reeks, then uh, log on to Spotify and uh, and see uh, see what we're up to on there. But as uh, as we mentioned in the at the end of our previous episode, we uh, wanted to talk about a few um, a few different things, and, and this podcast um, in particular would be about recovery. So we touched on it earlier about how. Uh, um, important recovery is particularly now that we've had a shortened pre-season and, and uh, going into you know, what might be a, uh, a different pre-season uh, as such. So this podcast will be looking about recovery and, and talking about how we can do that effectively and what modalities are, are open to us. And, and uh, as Sean and, and Damon are both strength and conditioning coaches, they'll tell you how important recovery is and um, not only for repairing your body and, getting yourself back on the park, but also facilitating some, some benefits to your body in the long term. So uh, maybe if you boys can just give us a quick intro into recovery and how you see it, uh, we'll go from there. So recovery, I mean, it's, it's probably just as important as any training component that we go through. Um, there's a lot of layers to it. So you've got your immediate recovery, so post-match recovery, which is very important. So that's looking at sort of um, your immediate hydration and nutrition. So making sure that you get the right things in. And then I guess we did touch on it in the last podcast at the end there. The one that's probably not acknowledged as well is sleep. So making sure they get um, sleep. That's the best recovery that there is for the body. Um, It helps repair um, and rejuvenate the body. So making sure that in that post-match setting that, yeah, you do the right things. So get a good meal in get your hydration in and then get a good sleep in. Um, and then that's just going to help with the next sort of 48 hours after that. So um, then you'd be looking at doing some sort of day after recovery, whether depending on the facilities you've got, um, if you're lucky enough to live near the beach or something like that, you might go and do um, an active recovery in the water. Um, if you don't have access to the beach or a pool or anything like that, it might be just um, as simple as going for a walk, having a stretch, doing the right things in terms of that. And again, just making sure that you're getting the right hydration and food in after um, the game and the following days. And then we sort of move into the next phase where when we return to training, it might be one or two days after that day after um, working on mobility, um, making sure that there's any general soreness. Um, you can get massage, self-massage, these sort of methods so that when we get to the middle of the week and you're preparing for the next game that you're fit and ready to go and you're able to train properly. Um, so that's sort of the setup that you'd be following in terms of recovery. That's very general. And I know that we will get into some more specific stuff later um, in this episode, but that's just sort of an overview of what we'd be looking at in terms of when and what we'd be doing for recovery. Yeah, well, it's, uh, that's good, Dan. That's pretty thorough, actually. I think you might have just covered everything that we're going to talk about in this episode, so we could uh, probably wrap it up there if we wanted. But, uh, Sean, do you want to go on go on those points a little bit further, particularly maybe about the habits that you want to get yourself into with uh, recovery as well? Yeah, I think the most important thing would be that all the the most effective recovery techniques are the things that you can do quite easily or the things that you have access to. And I think sometimes people get too caught up in um, worrying about what they can't do, that all the things that they might see elite athletes do, whether it be you know, um, all these fancy ice baths or compression sleeves, massage guns, all these things that they don't have access to. But the, the big thing to 
really nail is the sleep hydration nutrition like Damo mentioned um, because they're going to yield you the the largest results mm, absolutely right and that's I think that's one of the things that you see when you work in elite sport is that you have all that like all the access to these you know the, the plunge pools spas you know whatever you want to talk about um, how how much money is poured into these facilities and, and you see those images on TV about athletes using them and and all, and all that sort of stuff and obviously that provides them some benefit and they have the, the capabilities to do that. But if you look back 10 years ago, when you're watching some of the old AFL teams after a game, they'd be down St Kilda Beach, just walking out, walking along in the, uh, in the ocean water on, on a Sunday morning and you know, you'd, you'd see TV reporters down there. So it is, again, it's something that you, know, you, can, you can find, particularly at the sub-elite, sub-elite level, you can easily do and you can still do it effectively as well. So, what we might do then uh, from this point is we might touch on a few of the uh, main recovery techniques uh, that are available to, available to the sub-elite level. And then we'll probably go into um, a bit more depth as to sort of the rationale and background behind each one. And then we'll go into more of a, a prescription-based uh, discussion about when you might want to use these different techniques. So the first one, as Sean's alluded to, it's his baby essentially is sleep. Like Sean loves sleep. And if you want to try and get onto Sean, uh, you're probably not going to be able to get much contact back from him before 9am in the morning because he just loves his sleep recovery. So Sean, you want to start us off with this one, mate? You've been looking forward to this one all week. Yeah, well, I, I guess it is true. I do enjoy a, a bit of a sleep. Um, and I guess not that I'm uh, the most late athlete spending too much time exercising, but it's the... I think it's the most important recovery technique. Um, I think it builds or it sets the foundation for the rest of your recovery because I don't think that uh, any other recovery techniques can make up for a consistent lack of sleep. Um, It essentially just allows the body to return to baseline levels. Um, It'll help to regenerate uh, muscle repair, and muscle growth and it just it limits the amount of muscle breakdown that you will get from exercise so i think most people are probably going to do back-to-back sessions like within from day to day and it might not be the same type of session like running back to back but it might be running and then gym the next day and then running again um i think it's important because then it'll, a good night's sleep will allow you to um have your full strength output your full speed output um but there's also a big mental component as well. It mm. uh, helps you to remember things and concentrate properly um, and probably helps to um, uphold your skill levels as well, which probably doesn't um, seem too obvious of a benefit. But I think either in your sport, your skill execution, and then even in the gym, your skill execution, just performing exercises. If you're um, sleep deprived, you might be a bit, a bit off with that which could cause some issues um but i think that like with sleep as well it's not i think damo mentioned before it's probably uh, undervalued a little bit because it's not necessarily instagrammable if that's mm. a word yeah you're not yeah. you're not gonna be scrolling through instagram and see posts of all these fitness influencers um posting posting about sleep and posting about lying in bed you know, you'll yep. be seeing all these other compression garments and massage guns and all those sorts of things. And they're interesting and people are drawn to that, but sleep's kind of boring thing that you 
try not to worry mm. about too much. Mm. Um, I think the one thing is that it's probably, it's, it doesn't cost anything. And it's the one thing that you can control yeah. the most out of any recovery technique, because you're okay. in control of when you go to sleep, when you wake up, obviously you might have a disturbed sleep or something like that, but you, you control um, when you go to sleep. So it is the one thing that you actually can really manage and control to make sure that you're um, ready to go the next day or that you're recovering from what you've done the day before. Um, and just touching back on what you were talking about there, Sean, about with, it's not just about how the body regenerates, but it's also about things like arousal levels and um, hormones and things like that. So that you are, you know, we've all woken up grumpy before and it's not a good way to start performing. So, because we haven't had enough sleep. Mm. So, and that might be us just going to work or doing, you know, an office job. So imagine what it's like when you're then expected to go out and perform. So it's really important that, you know, you do wake up on the right side of the bed and you're ready to go. Absolutely. I think Sean made a good point that about the Instagram stuff as well is that sleep, you can't really commercialize as, as much as what you can with the, compression garment, massage garment and the things he was saying. So I think that's a really important point is that just because it's probably not as marketed as much, it's still probably the most important one anyway um, that are available to basically everybody. So definitely an important point. Um, so then how would you recommend going about improving your sleep, Sean, or have you got any recommendations about some sleep guidelines that you'd like to share off that? Uh, given that you know, this is your... Um, area of expertise <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about expertise but um the main thing would be the the amount of sleep you get so you want to try to get anywhere from seven to nine hours there's a bit of a sweet spot you don't want too much or too little um so if you're for example someone who has to get up really early in the morning maybe you have to get up at five six in the morning make sure you're getting into bed at a reasonable time the night before that allows you to get that amount of sleep in. Um, so some ways you can do this. Um, if you struggle to fall asleep at the same um, time each night is make sure that you're waking up the same time every day. Um, try to get into bed at the same time each night. Uh, before you get into bed, make sure you've taken some time to wind down a little bit um, and just relax. And the one way not to do that is by spending time watching TV or scrolling on your phone because that's going to delay your sleep even further. The lights on the screens, they um, reduce the amount of uh, melatonin that's released, which is a hormone the body um, releases to help you fall asleep. So take some time to wind down, switch your screens off half an hour, an hour before you're going to try and fall asleep. You can wind down by reading, um, doing some meditation or breathing exercises um even yoga something like that um and try and avoid caffeine late in the day sort of afternoon evening keep it to the morning if you can yeah that, yeah that's great advice great advice there sean you've done well um, with that Thanks, considering that your uh, your field there so we might now go through a few of the other colin um, recovery uh techniques we'll see and and we'll sort of uh go through these indi uh, individually so i'll uh I'll give an overview of a few. Damo will give an overview of a few. And then Sean will jump in as well with any sleep-related commentary you can fit, fit back in. So uh, we'll go from there. But I'll start, I think I'll start this one off. Uh, so uh, another important one we have, particularly that we just touched on before, is active recovery. So 
essentially uh, what I was saying before about AFL teams going down to, going down to the beach and and uh, and doing some stuff on a Sunday morning. That's a bit of a it's a bit of a, a combination of active recovery and, and some cold water immersion, or uh, effectively sort of similar to sort of what an ice bath is. But the active recovery portion essentially uh, for a recovery technique is basically just completing low intensity exercise uh, after training or a match. And essentially when we say after training or uh, a match, we're talking about the next day, generally 24 to 36 hours afterwards, essentially it's just light continuous movements. So might be some running, a bit of a jogging, uh, jogging um, or a combination of a few different things as well. But the emphasis is on uh, particularly a low, uh, low intensity workout. Essentially it's enough to sort of get your heart rate elevated but not, we don't want to be going into moderate and intense exercise. Why we want to do that, uh, particularly after exercise, uh, is to improve the removal of some uh, waste products from the muscle. So typically we talk about things such as lactate, which is a byproduct of essentially exercise or energy uh, to produce exercise. And, and what we want to do is we want to accelerate the removal of that from our body. And the way we do that is by, uh, or we can do that a few ways, mainly with active recovery, we want to increase the oxygen levels um, and we do this by increasing our activity and then hopefully that will improve the clearance and the removal of these products. And then so essentially that the, um, practically how we do that is you know, going down to the beach or, or whatnot and playing some light, I'd say probably some light ball games that would be good as well. You want to keep it lighthearted and, and fun and enjoyable for everybody. So they're probably main ones, maybe even uh, you know, taking the ball, to, a ball down the beach and, and playing some, some games on there. But essentially, you just want to keep sort of some continuous movements. Um, and you probably want to do this for probably about 20 minutes to half an hour. That's probably like a good sort of duration you want to work off. Nothing too long or lengthy. You really want to make it uh, a nice sort of comfortable length. So that's probably um, an overview of active recovery there. I don't think I've missed anything from there, my boys. That's probably what you'd want to cover for that one. Yeah, well, well covered, Rob. Yeah, Arrow was a demo. Did you happy, happy with that one, mate? Do you want to give us one demo? If you've got another another recovery technique, you'd like to uh, go into a bit more depth. Yeah, so I guess I touched on the hydration and the nutrition um, component early on in the, the this episode. So, um, I guess hydration and nutrition is important at all times. But if we're you know in the lead up to a game and everything like that, but from a let's go from post-match as our starting point. So um, from a hydration point of view, what you'll find at a lot of elite clubs and stuff is that it'll be a way-in, way-out system where um, that's how they figure out how much fluid you're going to have. Some sub-elite clubs might do that, but from your sort of perspective, if you don't have those facilities, I'd be encouraging that you sort of have anywhere from sort of a litre to two litres of water in that post-match period. That doesn't mean that you have to sit there and scull a litre of water, um, but we're talking sort of in the couple of hours after the game um, that before you start having six beers after the game that you actually get some water into yourself and um, do that over an extended period of time. So, yeah, as I said, two to three hours. And then again, you might want to also add in there that you might have a Powerade or a Gatorade or something like that that has the electrolytes in there. So obviously when you've been exercising, you're going to lose um, some of those salts and ions out of your body that you want to replenish. So having a Powerade 
as part of that hydration strategy. It is primarily water, but it's also got some sugars and ions and stuff like that in there. So having that as part of your two liters as well is going to help if it has been um, quite an intense session and depending on like heat and stuff like that as well. So if we're playing a game of tennis or cricket in the middle of summer and it's been 35 degrees, um, you might be having a little bit more of that to replace more ions and your water count might go from one to two litres to a little bit more again, depending on um, how vigorous it was. Um, that's not to say that you can't have a beer after the game or anything like that, but it's just that if you want to be pulling up in the best state that you would obviously ideally do the hydration of the water first and then have a couple of beers after that. Um, from a mm. food point of view, so um, in the post-match setting, um, you'll see it, you would have seen it on the TVs that they might bring in pizzas, burgers, all sorts of things to, in the professional setting. So essentially what they're doing is they're trying to um, replenish carbohydrates and get um, high-carb foods in there. And they're also going to have some protein in there. So that's why you might see it as a meat eater's pizza or something like that where they've got proteins, obviously – um, you're not burning as much uh, or breaking down as many proteins or the muscle as you would in a gym session. But again, you're doing that by exercising. So the, the theory, I guess, behind it is that having a high carb is that you're going to replen replenish the energy that you have burnt through your exercise. And then with the protein component is that you're trying to fuel your body to repair your muscles, which again is going to be part of the recovery process that would happen in that 24 to 48 hours. So um, again, it doesn't have to be anything in particular, but if you can get a high amount of carbs and then get some protein in there, so um, through meats, um, you might be vegetarian and have lentils, something like that, that you've got the um, protein and you've got a carbohydrate status there. So again, I'm not a nutritionist or a dietitian, but from that perspective, you, that's what you'd be looking at. Um, that then rolls over into the days after as well. So again, the hydration just as a general point of view, you know, it's the two liters a day, but if you've had a really vigorous day the day before, um, you need to make up for that. So that might mean that, you know, in the preceding days that you, um, move that to two and a half liters or something like that and sort of make sure that you are rehydrating along that path. Um, and from a new nutritional standpoint, again, um, if you have had a very vigorous activity in that period afterwards, you may need to eat, more than what you usually would. You might be additionally hungry. Um, your body might be using more to repair. So again, it, it's not our area of expertise, but in terms of giving you some sort of guidelines, I guess, is making sure that you do in that first period have a lot of carbs and proteins. And then it's more of a, how are you feeling and what is your usual diet? I wouldn't say change anything. So um, continue to do what you normally do. Um, don't think that in that those days after that you have to do anything too different. Um, it's more in that immediate stage that where post match is that's the most vigorous event of the week. That's where you need to sort of focus on a little bit more. And then during the week, I guess everything in moderation is how I would operate. So make sure that you got your veggies and your meat and everything like that. But if you like to dabble in a few cheat days, you can do that as well, but that's, that's up to you. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, um, the, the post-match nutrition as well, I think can be a bit of a trial and error game with, with some people because some people don't like to eat so soon mm. After, mm. after matches, but it's just important to at least get something in. So that could be a protein shake because then that way mm. you're sort of hitting two birds with one stone. 
um, with yep. your protein and your hyd- and your hydration, or it might be some yogurt or even those um, those Gatorade gel things to yeah. get some carbs in. Just something like that, just so you're at least getting something in rather than rather than nothing. Yeah, that's a really yeah. good point. Um, that there's it's not an exact science, as you said. Not everyone enjoys eating straight away. Um, again, that's sort of you want to get it in within the 30 minute window if you can. Yeah. But if you if you physically can't eat or you don't do that, I guess within a couple of hours of the exercise would be like sort of worst case scenario that you get a meal in. So um, for some people, it might be hard if you played a night game or something like that. It might be 10 o'clock by the time mm. you finish up. Yeah. Again, in that instance, you may not want to eat an entire meal. So the shake or something like that might be a way to go about it. Or if it's an afternoon or game, or yeah. The drive through on the way home, maybe, Dan, is that what you're saying? Or... <laughs> I, don't, well, I don't think we have any sponsors yet, but there have been a lot of kernel references in our thing. So yeah. maybe we might have to reach out. Yeah, yeah. We'll try a box, maybe. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that's pretty comprehensive, I think. And uh, if you do, there are like a lot of good resources out there as well. Like sports dietitians Australia do a lot of uh, infographics and, and a lot of good good stuff around that area as well. But I've definitely referred to the journey. So that's definitely one if you want to check out something with a bit more expertise, particularly on that front. And then I think we'll go into the next technique. And this one's uh, this one's come like storming into, into relevance at probably the last five, six, seven, eight years. And that's foam rolling. So I think uh, mid to mid two thousands, I think skins and compression garments they were all the rage. But now the new skins and compression garments is definitely the foam roller. Like it doesn't matter where you go, gyms, you know, elite sporting clubs, sub-elite sporting clubs, even in your house, which is with people, foam rolls are everywhere. And it, they're a good thing because they're a pretty inexpensive tool as well. But um, you see, basically, we'll see every bloke do one. Every bloke will jump. Every bloke will jump on the uh, the foam roll before training, after training, and all that. So, might be a good one to sort of touch on what the, the foam rolls are and how they sort of work. And uh, if you haven't seen a foam roll, basically it's a foam cylinder that you use um, yourself. It's essentially a self massage technique where you place your a portion of your body or your body on the foam roller in a particular part, and then you essentially just roll in a motion with your body and Essentially, it's creating sort of a, a self-myofascial release. That's what they call it. Uh, really, it's just a self-massage. That's all it is. It's basically giving yourself uh, your own sort of um, clinical massage, essentially. That's, that's all it is. And, and how it sort of works is it, it's, it's interesting and it's tough with like massage and foam rolling and the exact science behind it because essentially everybody will apply different forces and, and use different... Uh, pressures upon foam rolling so it's hard to sort of pinpoint exactly how it, it works from a physiological benefit but it does surround sort of the idea of a, a sort of a muscle creep so uh, not necessarily the creep that you think of when you hear that um, it's just some bloke sitting on the foam roll for half an hour but uh, sort of a creep where we talk about uh, soft tissues become stiffer uh, under like a low load for a constant amount of time so Essentially, uh, if we want to talk about sitting down, so your back, um, when you sit down for a long periods of time, about extension, your body becomes sort of locked, uh, locked in a, in a lengthened, lengthened position. So we're talking about um, a locked, locked long is the um, term that they use. But essentially, foam rolling helps to alleviate that. So particularly when we use foam rolling, a lot of people do like lower back, or lower upper back, glutes, hamstrings, quads. They're sort of areas that 
um, get affected most, particularly when people sit down a lot. So foam rolling is really good for that one as a bit of a release. And how we sort of do foam rolling, you probably want to aim for about five to 10 minutes. Before sessions is probably the main one, but I know a lot of people uh, like to do it before and after as well, just because it sort of feels good like a massage. So you probably want to aim for about you know, five to 10 minutes and then you want to incorporate probably the main sort of body sites, uh, particularly for exercise. So maybe glutes, hamstrings, quads, and then sort of maybe thoracic region as well. So you really want to incorporate sort of uh, a lot of different muscle sites on the body, um, just as a way to sort of uh, give you a nice little, little mini activation before you start. So that's probably... Uh, a bit of a rundown on foam rolling. I don't think I've missed anything there, but boys, anything else you probably want to add to no, that? I think um, foam rolling and sort of massage as well. I think it's one of those things where if you like it, then do it. But if you mm. don't find any benefit out of it, I don't think it's the end of the world if you don't do it. Um, mm. And as yeah. well, it shouldn't, it shouldn't take precedent over any of the other techniques that we've mentioned already. Cause it might have a little bit of a, a little bit of a benefit. Um, but it's not mm. going to do anything too big, I don't think. Yeah, anyway. exactly. That's a good point, Sean, because I think that's what you want to do is if you if you find something that works for you, it might not work for somebody else, don't stop yeah. doing it, keep doing it, because that's at the end of that. That's what you want to do is you want to um, give yourself the best chance to uh, prepare and then perform at the best of your capabilities. Yeah, I think that's so one we, thing is that it's sort of yeah. that there's been some research into it and it's similar to skins that it's not really comprehensive, uh, that it's either way that mm. it is a benefit. And if it's, if it doesn't disadvantage you, which it doesn't, um, then there's no harm in doing it. So, um, again, as you've said, it's all about the individual and it's very much a sort of placebo psyche sort of thing. So if you think that, mm. or you feel better having done massage through a foam roll, or if you're lucky enough to have someone at your club, do it for you. Um, then do it. Don't, don't stop doing it because again, it's not inhibiting your performance, but again, if you don't find it useful, then just don't worry about it. Yeah. Good one. So we might go through the last couple here. Uh, so the main one that a lot of people uh, would know would be an ice bath or essentially doing an, doing an ice or a water-based recovery. Uh, essentially this will probably touch on maybe calling it cold water immersion. That's probably uh, particularly at the sub elite because sub elite level, because, not many people would have access to a proper ice bath itself. Like, you know, you might, everybody's got the uh, the wheelie bin that you sort of fill up with a bit of cold water and chuck some ice in and that works fine. But uh, we might just talk about the the effect or the influence of just cold water itself and then uh, we'll go from there. But essentially, uh, cold water immersion is basically what it says. You immerse your body in uh, cold water as a recovery modality and, Effectively, the proposed benefits around this um, surround hydrostatic pressure. So when you're in the water, uh, particularly when you're submerged in the water, there's a pressure that's applied to your body. And that is supposed or is said to um, have some sort of recovery benefit. So for instance, with cold water, it might be that there's reduced inflammation from that. So you're, particularly you're, uh, the cells that might have been inflamed from doing exercise. So there's a a decreased inflammation around that. And then there's also potentially a reduced perception of pain. So when you get in and out of the ice bath, I think that we all know anecdotally, you sort of feel a bit better. Um, and that's, that's a big one as well, that uh, psychological aspect. And uh, essentially it's hoping to then sort of help alleviate the levels of like, our waste products as well. So we talked about, talked about previously about lactate and uh, along those lines. So that's a general overview of, 
ice bars or, or cold water immersion. And effectively, the duration for this, we want to look probably about, if you're in water, if you're doing sort of cold water or sea recovery, it's probably about 10 minutes is probably max. If you're doing ice baths, you probably want to be doing sets. Like you would probably want to be doing reps, I should say, of sets. So you might do sort of four one-minute sort of um, efforts in an ice bath or, or whatever that might be. So you want to interchange it. But if you're doing the sea and water, open water-based stuff, you can probably get away with the, uh, the longer duration. Mm. I think, I think one, probably... one thing important to add there is that it yep. doesn't have to be ice. Um, mm. the, the sort of evidence that's out there that's, cold water is perfectly fine. So again, mm. um, that's one thing a lot of blokes that I've worked with absolutely hate getting in the ice bath mm. because it's because of the coldness of it. Um, so there always is the alternative that cold water is being shown to be just as effective. Mm. Um, so I guess cold water is anything under 10 degrees, I believe uh, is what they use. So tap water you put in the, if you put in the bin, the wheelie bin that you use, um, it's going to be just as effective as um, the ice bath. It might just be that the placebo or the perception is that it's mm. not as effective because you don't have that immediate snap um, of yeah. coldness. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. And then the other aspect of like ice baths and, and water immersion is we also have the ability to contrast this with hot water as well or, or spas or, or spa baths, water than that might be. And uh, these work a little bit differently in the fact that you'll essentially alternate between cold and hot. So you'll swap between the two bars. And, and again, you'll probably do this in uh, reps, reps and, and sets uh, particularly. So you probably want to aim for 10 minutes total sort of alternating between, between the ice and the hot, but essentially the benefit or the proposed benefit around this surrounds you, you're creating sort of a muscle pump effect. So what happens in hot water is your body will, or the, the working muscles around that will open up because uh, they want to sort of cool themselves down and, and promote a bit of a, a cooling down sort of mechanism. And what that will do is that'll create essentially more blood flowing in. So again, more oxygen, more blood, hopefully increase the, the removal of the waste products. And then once you jump back in the ice bath, the vessels are going to constrict again. So what happens is you basically create a pump which essentially flows the oxygen in and out, which hopefully will then speed up your uh, recovery from like removing your lactates uh, along those lines. But the point, if you're a contact sport, if you're doing AFL or rugby league or whatever, there is some question marks doing hot and cold sort of recovery um, immediately after exercise, particularly if you've got bruising, if you've done a contact session, because uh, particularly with the hot water, that might actually uh, exacerbate any sort of contusions or anything you might have along those lines. So that's probably the only one to be wary of on that front, I think. I think it's with, with the water immersion as well, it's particularly if you don't have access to like hot, cold stuff, um, you might, depending on how your bathroom's set up at home, you might alternate between a bath and a shower or something like that. But again, if you can't do it or you can't do hot and cold, um, it's not, not the end of the world. And again, it shouldn't take precedent over you know, your sleep, nutrition, hydration, stuff like that. Mm. As we said, these, these are the, the added extras. If you've got the resources to yeah. do it, do it. Um, but again, the key ones are the ones that you can sort of control. So your sleep, your hydration, your nutrition, you can control what happens on that front. With these things, you might rock up at the ground that the hot water's run out. So you can't use it. You've got to have a cold shower. That might be helpful because it's cold water immersion, but you can't do your contrast bathing then. So mm. um, at the amateur and the sub-elite level, you just got to deal with what you, you've got in terms of these added extras, but you can always do 
I guess, the three basics of the sleep, nutrition, and hydration. Yeah, absolutely. So we've just uh, we've just gone through all the different uh, all different recovery modalities. So now we'll briefly touch on when and how to use these um, different recovery tools and, and the optimal place that you want to do that to facilitate uh, your own recovery and, and hopefully enhance your performance. So I'll uh, just introduce the different sort of scenarios and time scenarios throughout the week that we might see. And then the boys will sort of give us a rundown as to uh, what techniques they uh, think is best for that time slot. So the first one, boys, is post-match. So for recovery, what are the things we want to do post-match? Well, I suppose Damo sort of touched on it before. Uh, with your hydration and your nutrition, make sure you get some some liquids in because you would have lost that through sweat. Um, get some protein in, either protein shake or through food and, and some carbs. Um, and then that'll just be like a small meal and then later in the day, maybe for dinner or depending on the time of the, the game, you'll get a, a bigger meal in with some more carbs, uh, some more protein. Um, you might do a little bit of a cool down post-match, whether it be some stretches or some light movement. Um, and then probably some form of either ice bath or like a cold shower, or you could even put like bags of ice onto your, your sore muscles. Um, I think one thing to be potentially aware of is if you've gotten injured or are, or have pulled up very sore, that alcohol does impair the recovery process. It might just be something to keep in mind that maybe just if you've, pulled up pretty sore or you've tweaked something um maybe don't drink or keep it to one or two if you can um it's probably the, the main thing as well the carton zero is whatever they're called <laughs> zero don't, alcohol, don't, yeah. don't waste your money there rob um i think uh, <laughs> the, the most important thing um as well is the sleep the night after the game as well yeah, yeah sleep yeah no, that's a good one boys it's no, pretty no comprehensive Oh, okay. Oh. You, you, you might see the Triax team there if you're out of that. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the, we actually do facilitate some, um, some cute live Q&A sessions on the uh, Swan Hotel dance floor from time to time as well. <laughs> when, that, when that reopens, or precinct, depending on which one's going better that night. Um, so so the, the next one we'll go through is uh, the match day plus one, which essentially means the day after the match or 24 to 36 hours post. So... What are we doing there, boys? Yeah, so um, touched on it earlier in the podcast, but you'd be looking at doing um, the active recovery um, that Rob talked about earlier. So you'd want to be doing that on that day. And again, as we've spoken about, um, if it was quite an intense day or you're feeling not so good, you'd be looking at maintaining the, the hydration and the nutrition strategies into that day as well. Um, and then... The other sort of things, you know, you might be doing some foam rolling or self-massage as well, if that's mm. something that you you like to do as well. And uh, probably the main one is the old Sunday session as well, probably. So not talking about that Sunday session, um, but obviously the active recovery sort of stuff as well. So if you have, if you're in close proximity to a beach or some sort of pool as well, you can do definitely combine active recovery uh, with the water immersion. So you can sort of get the bang for your buck with, uh, the benefits of the water as well as doing active light recovery as well. So they're probably uh, the main ones there. Uh, do you have anything else on that one, Sean, or is that, that's basically it? No, it touches at all. Thanks, Sean. Thanks, mate. No sleep on that one, mate. You're okay with that? Yep. <laughs> oh, well, I think, I think yeah. with uh, sleep should be something that you're getting in every, every day. It's yeah. a consideration for, for all night. Yeah. So. Yeah, thanks. Thanks very much, Sean. Yeah, uh, and then so th throughout the week as well. So, 
Um, so pre and post training sessions throughout the week, what are we sort of, what things do we want to look to incorporate there? Um, I suppose always getting your nutrition and your hydration right. Make sure um, for some uh, local clubs, the tra- you're going to be training around dinner time. So if you can try and get some sort of snack in beforehand, so you're not running around, not an empty stomach. Um, and then afterwards, after training and uh, get, a, get a good meal in, um, make sure you're sleeping well. Again, you can do some massage or foam rolling if you like it, but again, it's not essential. Yeah, I think, and adding to the, the nutrition bit before training, it's not a sausage roll and an iced coffee on the way to training. Try to make it something that's um, of some substance, uh, fruit, bars, yogurt, anything like that. Um, that's probably going to do you better than um, the snag roll going into training. Mm. Just just kick a few at training, don't eat them before. Yeah, eh? that's it, yeah. Yeah, uh, good stuff. Uh, and then, so leading up to game day as well, so if you you've been promoted into the ones and you, know, you sort of rock up in the sunnies and, and the chewy and, and the duffel bag over the shoulder. What sort of stuff do you want to do before the game? I suppose even going uh, one step before that, the night before, um, I think you hear a lot of people do uh, some carb lobing. They might um, eat a bowl of pasta or something for, for dinner. It's not going to be, it's not super essential, but getting some extra carbs in will help because um, the game's going to be the most strenuous activity you do throughout mm-hmm. the week. Um, and then start that off with a with a good breakfast as well on on game day. Mm. Yep. I think that the key is to not change what you do. Don't listen to us if we say you've got to do a certain nutrition or hydration on on the game day. Whatever works best for you. Um, if you don't carb load before a game, don't listen to the podcast and go, "I've got a carb load." Um, if you've mm. been doing it for years, just stick with what you're doing. But obviously, be sensible about it. So. Um, make sure that you are eating and drinking before the game and the night before you're yeah, having something half decent to eat. You're not having six stubbies and a zinger box the night before. Maybe save that for, you know, after the game or, you know, later in the week. Sunday. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Or Sunday. Yeah. Leading up, so game day itself, I think we sort of just touched on. So it's, again, probably more, we've probably done most of your coverage for the week. It's probably more some preparation stuff. So looking at, some stretching and foam rolling, they're probably the two main ones. And then you'll obviously do a dynamic warm-up with the team, hopefully. Um, but maybe even incorporating some of your own sort of stuff as well if you, if you need to work on anything in particular. So, um, you know, some glute activation stuff or whatever it might be um, for that. But I think that sort of covers that, um, that aspect for this podcast in terms of recovery. If you do want to um, read some further information, we do have two blog posts on recovery itself. We have essentially a blog post for the first half of this podcast, which looked at sort of recovery and the different sort of methods you can use uh, and the rationale behind that. And then the second half, uh, you can look at uh, our second part of the blog, which is looking at sort of when to incorporate these different recovery modalities as well, which is what we've just touched on there. So I think we might sort of uh, wrap this one up boys, but um, we just want to sort of give another plug that our podcast is available on YouTube Apple, Apple Podcasts, and now Spotify as well. So that's a, that's a good one there. So if you can subscribe, leave a rating, a comment, um, all that sort of stuff, give us a like as well. That'd be great. That sort of uh, helps us out um, as, as well. So we'd really appreciate that. And if you have any sort of comments on what we've spoken about in any of our podcasts or we want to get in touch with us, feel free to do so. You can do that on YouTube if you want to leave a comment or via our social media accounts as well, which are what, Sean? Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. There you go. And try out, 
Trix Performance would be probably your best bet to search them. And if you want to send us an email, Damo, how do you do that? Yeah, we've got uh, admin at triaxperformance.com. Very good. Very good. So we might give a little bit of a brief interlude into our next podcast, which is a bit of a change of pace, a bit of, uh, a bit of fun with the grand final in AFL NRL and NRL that's happening next week. So uh, we do have a, a special show lined up on that, which will hopefully be uh, some, uh, some entertaining and thought-provoking sort of discussion. But maybe if we can get sort of your tips um, before the grand final next week, boys, and before the prelims this weekend, uh, who are we liking in the AFL and NRL? Might start with you, Damo. Yeah, I reckon it'll be a Storm Panthers grand final um, in the rugby and the AFL uh, Port and Brisbane. I hope Brisbane get up. Ooh. Yeah, get rid of the two Victorian teams in the AFL. And what about you, Shawnee? Uh, NRL, same as Damo, Storm Panthers, I think. Um, mm. AFL, I'm going to go Port and Geelong. I think Geelong, they, they should have won, won week one and they were pretty comprehensive last week. So I think Brisbane with um, only played one match in the last three weeks or whatever it is. So mm. might be a bit of an ep- upset there. Nah, how, stuff, how about man. you, Rob? Oh, yeah, for what it's worth, we'll go Storm and might go the Rabbitohs. We'll see. I reckon they might be half a sniff. Looks like they're playing some good, uh, good footy at the moment. And then we'll go... Brisbane and Port Adelaide for the AFL as well. Similar thinking to Damo there on that one. Well, I think uh, I think that might do us for this uh, for this edition of the Decades podcast. So thanks for tuning in, and, and be sure to check out our previous podcasts and and our uh, latest instalment, which will be on the AFL Grand Final.